in case you aren't able to get there on Saturday night, invite friends to come with you. Then uh, we've got a summary by the guy who's presenting it, and uh, we're going to watch that first before we get into the topic this morning. Thank you. Watch the screen. In these clips, we're going to introduce the series Jesus the Game Changer, and we're going to introduce the topics that we look at throughout the series. And today's topic is actually on the person of Jesus. Now, if you're going to have a series called Jesus the Game Changer, you probably need to establish that Jesus was a real person and some of the things that we know about him. Jesus is enormously influential across the human history. And now we say that throughout the series, but there are others that have discovered that themselves. Even in the last couple of years, a couple of computer scientists, Skiana and Ward, have written a book called Who's Bigger? And in that book, they've done some research. Read the book if you want to know how they got to this point. And they tried to, dis to establish who was the most influential person using the skills that they had. And they came up with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, many people will say, well, of, of, of course he is. But that's incredibly surprising, really. If you go back to the point of Jesus' death and his ascension back into heaven, at that point of time, Nobody would have thought that Jesus was going to be the most influential person across human history. I mean, think about what Jesus left. What did Jesus actually leave at that point? He didn't own any property. He hadn't written a book. I mean, there's a book, the New Testament, written about him, but he didn't write it. He didn't establish an organization. He didn't travel very far. He had no wealth, no assets, no political position, no political party, nothing. And yet he's become the most influential person across human history and has actually created some of the foundational assumptions and values that Western nations hold to. Now, there's a, a writer, a thinker, a mathematician from England whose name's Alfred North Whitehead. And Alfred North Whitehead makes the point that in any particular period of time, we discuss major ideas of that period of time but we never discuss the foundational values that only give us a certain number of ideas to discuss. Uh, the foundational values that this series looks at, that come from the life and teaching of Jesus, have changed the world. And some of the things that we can get wrong is to think that Jesus came to change the foundational assumptions, to change the big sociological ideas, but that's not actually the case. Jesus changed people's lives. And one of the lives which is most influential that we see in the New Testament is the story of Paul. We know him as Paul, he was first called Saul. And at the time he was called Saul, he was actually really angry about anybody who wanted to follow this prophet, this Messiah, who was called Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, he was so angry and so committed to shutting them down that he would throw them into jail. Now, one of the things that we learn out of Paul is, is firstly that we can place Jesus in history because of Paul's life. Uh, it's not that Paul is written about in a vacuum with no relationship to what was happening at that time. In fact, some of the things that were said about Paul when he first went to Corinth in Acts chapter 18 actually points to specific names, specific individuals, and specific points of time 
that are actually talked about in other places in history. Jesus is a person who existed in history and interrelated in history and those who followed him did that as well. And here is Saul at the time, as we've said, angry about the church. And he's heading out to other towns to shut down the church, the, the growing followers of Jesus. And he's on his way to a town called Damascus. And on the journey, he is arrested by Jesus. And his life changes in an instant. And in that instant, when he meets Jesus in, in quite a miraculous way, he moves from being somebody who's persecuting the church to being the great, greatest advocate of that time and perhaps of all time of the person of Jesus. And Paul's example says something to us about how Jesus changes the world, how Jesus is the game changer. Jesus is the game changer because he changes people one person at a time. But what makes that change? Paul talks about what's so important and what the church has believed right from the very beginning when he writes to the, this church at Corinth. And in what the book we have called 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul outlines what it is the church has always believed about Jesus. Remember, this is not something that was added later to spice up the story, as it were. Right from the very beginning, Paul says, what I received of first importance I passed on to you. In other words, this has been talked about across the church for many years. This letter is just 20 to 25 years after Jesus left earth, right from the beginning. And he says, Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And that's what's of first importance. Jesus' death and resurrection, the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection is what changed Paul's life. It became a game changer in his life and he gave the rest of his years to communicating that message to the whole community. Jesus really is the game changer, the most influential person in human history. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we can meet in the name of the one who died and rose again in Jesus' name. And whether we know him or don't, we pray that we'll get to know him a little bit better today. And if we've never met him, that we will meet him. If we've never experienced the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit that he gives, that we will receive him today. And if we're beginning cool in our faith and in our following, that you would encourage us and revive us and renew us and strengthen us today. Because we believe that Jesus not only died but rose again from the dead and we believe you are here. Where your people are met in your name, you've promised to be there. Not in your physical body anymore, but by your Holy Spirit you are here and we look forward to hearing from you. So speak to us, we pray, in your name, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, we're talking about Jesus, the game changer, and I don't know whether you heard the news this uh, past week, but uh, this is what was written. One day you will hear that Billy Graham has died. Don't believe it. You did hear the news? Mm -hmm. On that day, I will be more alive than I was ever before. Billy Graham wrote. Well, last Wednesday, as I was burying my father, uh, 
who was 101, or nearly 101, a couple of months off. Uh, Billy Graham also died. During his life, Billy Graham uh, spoke to nearly 215 million people in packed stadiums around the world. In over 185 countries and territories, people came to hear him. And his message was very simple. It's sort of a little bit like what we heard just then. And this is what he said. I have one message, that Jesus Christ came, he died on a cross, he rose again, and he asked us to repent of our sins and to receive him by faith as Lord and Saviour. And if we do, we have forgiveness of all our sins. So said Billy Graham. So welcome to Jesus the Game Changer. And this morning we want to look at this Jesus that Billy Graham preached about. And uh, I want to look a little bit about how he changes life. And I guess as I was putting together the, um, <clears throat> the eulogy or the PowerPoint presentation on my father's life to present at his funeral, to see just how he changed my dad's life. God changed Billy Graham's life when he went across the whole world and preaching in huge auditoriums. Uh, God changed my father's life and he sent him to work amongst a, a few people in a far-off country called Papua New Guinea. And uh, only a few in the early days became followers of Jesus. It was a hard slog. But now there is actually a church uh, in Papua New Guinea called Evangelical Church of Papua that he was a part of with other people there. And uh, so we had the Thanksgiving service. For He was known as Billy as well. Although when he married my mother, mum didn't like Billy, so he was called Bill. So two Billies are in heaven right now, maybe sharing stories and, uh, and celebrating. And uh, so he had the service. But if you go back in his life, you'll also see that uh, his, his parents had experienced this dynamic change that Jesus brings. My grandmother's name was Geraldine, and uh, she was uh, actually in, came from high society in England. She lived, we went back and visited her home, a huge big Elizabethan mansion actually built in the shape of an E. And uh, those bells are there because they had 17 servants. And uh, next to your bed was a bell, that you, uh, a button you'd press and down in the servants' quarters, a bell would ring and tell you what uh, room number it was. So that was her upbringing, but she met Jesus and her life was changed. So what took her from that... And actually, they were trying to, from history, they were trying to uh, organize her to actually marry uh, W.B. Yeats, the famous uh, uh, poet, if you know anything of him. And she was uh, related to Lady Gregory. And if you look in history, but something happened in her life that caused her to leave all that and go to India and to work among the poor Muslim women of that time and share Jesus with them. So what caused her to leave 17 servants and uh, spend the rest of her life uh, in India? And there she met my grandfather, who uh, was also out there telling people about Jesus. His life was transformed, and I found this that Dad had uh, put in his... Uh, his PowerPoints, this is my dad, my grandfather, and dad saying it's my dad spreading the gospel in India. They had met Jesus, and something had transformed their life, and so they left the comforts of England, and even Geraldine from the comforts of high society of England, and married my father, who wasn't from high society in England, and she had a letter, we've still got it, from great-grandfather, who said you are marrying below your station in life. 
and wasn't very impressed that she was marrying this working-class Christian who was out there also um, telling people about Jesus. But they did, and, uh, and so uh, my father was born. But what took my father from uh, at the time of the Second World War, and because he was in missionary training, uh, wanting to go serve God in Papua New Guinea, because he had read the story of a man by the name of Chalmers who had gone to Papua New Guinea, was clubbed to death and eaten by the people of the Fly River. And uh, in the story that Dad has there, we even have the names of the guys who clubbed him to death and uh, ate him. And, um, and so that just challenged Dad that he wanted to go and share Jesus with these people uh, in Papua New Guinea. So it was in missionary training uh, colony, as they called it, and the war came and that was stopped, but he was seen as to be in holy orders. So as a young man, he left uh, England and went via America by train and boat and got to Australia to go to New Guinea on his own um, just after he was 21. Uh, and there he also met another person who was my wife who had also been called by God to share Jesus and so they went to Papua New Guinea. You'll see me there somewhere in the photo uh, but don't worry about that. And so that's where they went. What was it that caused them to go and to share Jesus? Uh, that's a photo that Dad took of Ganga and you'll see that uh, they were headhunters and actually on the Fly River in the Suki area they were actually cannibals and Dad tells a story one day of he's, um, he's sitting around with these old men and uh, they're talking, somehow they got talking about the soles of their feet because they don't wear shoes and they were all hard and calloused and I remember they used to have big gouges in them because they, but they could walk over anything and um, and as they were talking about the soles of their foot and how, foot, feet and how hard they were, one old guy said, Oh yes, but the flesh underneath is very sweet. Because he used to be a cannibal, you see, before he met Jesus and transformed his life. And, uh, but then the Huli people on the right there, they were not cannibals, they were headhunters. Like the other guy on the left, they would take your head and smoke it. And the more heads you had on the pole around your house, uh, the bigger man you were. But something had transformed my grandfather. An encounter had happened and something had transformed my father and an encounter had happened that caused them to want to go and tell other people about what had transformed them. And we found this. When he was 17 years old, he went to a church in Glasgow. And there he heard an Australian evangelist by the name of Lionel Fletcher. And he was convicted that he was a sinner and he needed to be saved like we were telling the children. And he put his hand out and he trusted Jesus who died and was buried and rose again from the dead to forgive his sins and to give him the gift of the Holy Spirit. As it says there, by the grace of God, I now definitely and deliberately accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and Master, and I surrender myself to him in order to become his disciple. I trust him henceforth to save and to keep me. And that encounter, that transformation that happened when he encountered Jesus, just as that encounter that happened with his mother, and his father caused him to go to the Fly River to tell people about Jesus. And there at a place called Te Popo, um, there were a few baptisms of those who came to faith uh, through his preaching of Jesus. 
And probably the verse that I heard most from him as he visited churches to tell people about the work and to raise support was this from 2 Corinthians. If we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. And some people think you're crazy. Why would you do that? If we're in our right mind, it's for you. The benefit is yours. For Christ, love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. You see, Christianity is not a philosophy, it's not a concept, it's not an idea. It's a person. And as we saw last night and a little bit today, a historical person, an actual person who actually lived in time and place in history in the first century. And the Apostle Paul, who also met this Jesus, this risen Christ after he rose from the dead, and his life was transformed from one who hated followers of Jesus and tried to kill them and put them in prison to one who promoted and preached and died and was actually crucified himself upside down in Rome because he wouldn't recant the Christian faith. This Paul says this, not in the reference that I've written there. Somehow I had Romans on my mind. It's actually Colossians and it's chapter 1 and it's starting at verse 15. I've also crossed out the one. And this is what the Apostle Paul teaches us about this Jesus of Nazareth. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a great man. This is after the encounter that Peter, uh, Paul had with Jesus. This is what he writes talking about Jesus as the Son, the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He is the physical, visible manifestation of the invisible, eternal God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Not as some would say the firstborn created or the first one created. That's not what it means. In historic times, in these times, firstborn, the firstborn son was the heir of all the father's property and inheritance. And so to talk about the firstborn of creation means he is the one who owns it all. It belongs to him. He is its heir. He is its rightful owner. It's been given to him because of who he is. And then it goes on to explain it a bit more. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible that we can see and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So this Jesus of Nazareth, who lived in a human body and walked in on this earth, was actually God incarnate, the creator God nonetheless, through whom everything came into being. That's what Paul's saying. He is before all things. That is, he is also eternal because all things came into being through him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the life source of the church. 
And he is the one who leads and guides his church. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He is over death. He has conquered death through his death and resurrection. And so he is the heir of all that, of all those who rise from the dead. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. And he is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. So this Jesus of Nazareth was not just a great teacher. This was God's plan that we heard about with the kids. God had a plan. Due to our rebellion and our sin that destroyed all that God created and spoiled this universe and brought suffering and death. God wasn't taken by surprise. You might say it was the cost of love because love always demands choice. In love, you can say, yes, I do, or no, I don't. And the human race, you and me included, have continuously said, no, I don't love you. No, I don't want to obey you. I want to be God myself. I want to determine what's right and wrong. I want to please myself. And so sin and death has destroyed and spoiled relationships. It's alienated us from God. It's alienated us from each other. It's alienated us from our environment. It has spoiled this whole world. But God has come in Jesus. He had a plan. And the plan was the person, the person of himself and the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. And he took on human form. And the purpose was not just to teach and not just to do miracles, but at the bottom there, to reconcile, to bring us back into relationship by making peace between us through his blood shed on the cross that we remember as we take the Lord's Supper. And then he goes on to say this, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So God didn't wait for us to be perfect. God didn't, doesn't wait for us to turn over a new leaf while we were still his enemies. While we were still alienated from him because of our behavior, he came to die on a cross to reconcile us, to bring us back to himself. But now he's, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, an actual physical death. He died on that cross and carried our sin, took our judgment, paid our debt. To present you what? Holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Not because I am clean or pure, but because he is. In exchange for my filthy life and my rebellion, he gives me his perfect life, his righteous life, his purity. That's the good news of the gospel, all made possible through his death on the cross. If you continue in your faith, because it's through faith that we receive the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. Established and firm in the held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the gospel. What's the gospel? As was in the video, what was passed on from the beginning. Christ died and was buried and rose again from the dead. The good news of the gospel that God has come in Christ to pay the debt for our sin pay the judgment and take the judgment we deserved so that we can be justly forgiven 
and we can receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of God's Holy Spirit and be reunited with our Creator God. Those who are alienated become friends. Those who are His enemies can be at peace. And because of that, because of His love, then the outworking is I want to serve Him. I want to be a servant, as Paul says. It impacted my grandmother and my father and the Apostle Paul, and it's impacted thousands through the years. Not a philosophy, not an idea, but an encounter with a real person who actually lived, died, and rose again from the dead. And so my question this morning is this, as we come around the Lord's table to remember what he did to make that possible. Have I encountered this Jesus myself? Has my life been transformed? Has your life been transformed? Have I received the forgiveness of sins that he makes possible? And have I received the gift of his Holy Spirit that he wants to give? Because he not only died for you, but he wants to live in you. He gave himself for you on the cross, but he wants to give himself to you through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Christianity is all about. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we remember this part. We don't celebrate his teachings, though we read them and learn from them because it is the word of God. We don't celebrate his miracles, though we hear about them and talk about them and learn from them how he is God trust as John to his grandpa puts out his hand and says I trust you I trust you and what you did on the cross to forgive me I trust you because you rose from the dead and I trust you to come and live in me by your Holy Spirit and so I wonder whether there's anybody here this morning that wants to make this great decision by the grace of God and now de definitely and deliberately Accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and Master, and I surrender myself to him in order to become his disciple. I trust him henceforth to save and to keep me. Let's pray. If you've already prayed that prayer and surrendered your life to Jesus, why don't you just thank him again for all he did? Say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Help me to be your servant and serve you and to be your missionary in the place that you've put me, to be your ambassador, to be your spokesperson, to be Jesus there in my workplace, in my home, in my circumstance, where you've called me. But if you've never met him, if never if you've never experienced his forgiveness then i offer you that opportunity right now will you quietly in your heart pray this prayer i believe jesus christ is god i believe jesus christ is god i believe he died and rose again i believe he died and rose again and I trust him to forgive my sin and give me the gift of eternal life. And I trust him 
to forgive my sin and give me the gift of eternal life, the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gift of your Holy Spirit. And I ask you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. And I ask you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are going to pass out the elements to come as we give out the bread and the wine. If you're a guest here, you're most welcome to join with us. And at Outlook, we're happy for our children with their parents to also participate and remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us. We will take a cup that reminds us of his, of his blood and we will take the biscuit to remind us of his body. So do take a piece of bread and a cup and just hang on to it for a moment while we give it out and we will eat and drink together. And perhaps this morning you are eating and drinking this for the first time and in faith you're saying, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross in my place for my sin. And he rose again to give me his eternal life in place for my sinful life. And as I take this in, I'm inviting Jesus Christ, the living Christ through his spirit, to come and live in me. Perhaps you've already done that. And today you're saying, thank you so much for making me part of your family. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve the gift of eternal life, but because of your death and burial and resurrection, because of your life that you gave, the blood you shed, I'm no longer alienated. I'm reconciled. I'm not lo no longer far away. I'm in your presence. You're no longer out there. You've by your spirit are now in here. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, and the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together and say thank you. you take a moment in the silence to quietly in your heart just say thank you in prayer to God for Jesus Then Paul goes on to say, In the same way after supper he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Not a dead Jesus, not an in-the-grave Jesus, but a risen and ascending Jesus who is coming in power and glory. So let's stand in honor of our risen Lord Jesus Christ and say together these three statements. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. To Jesus, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Let's drink. Lord Jesus Christ, we believe that absent from the body means to be present with our Lord. We believe that death is not the end because you rose from the dead and have conquered sin and death. We believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting because you died in a human body and rose in a human body and are coming in power and glory in a resurrected human body. And so we put our faith and trust in you and we live in confidence and hope until that great day when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first, then we who are left and remain are caught up together with them to meet you in the air. So we encourage each other with these words. So Lord, as we face a new week, help us to live to serve you, to be your ambassadors, to please you in all that we do in gratefulness for all that you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Some little containers are going to come around to collect our cups. And then we're going to take up an offering. If you're a guest in and didn't come prepared for an offering, uh, don't be embarrassed. Just put that Connect card in that. And uh, some containers will then come around uh, for the offering. Uh, and then we'll be asked to stand to conclude the service.